Well, once again, good morning. As I said this, this morning, this passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 14, please don't turn there. That is not where we're going to begin. Um, this passage of Scripture is it's challenging. We, we need the Lord's grace the Spirit's power to help us put to practice what we are going to see this morning. I've entitled this sermon, A Gospel Focus in Suffering. And I don't know about you, perhaps as we dig into 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 14 this morning, you're going to be like, duh, I knew that. Are you kidding? Of course. Being ashamed and suffering have everything to do with one another. And I just see them fitting like a glove. And and, and, and I I already knew all this, Pastor Jason. But for the rest of you that that maybe have have a little bit of, of a question like I have, looking at the passage that we're about to look at, you might have a hard time seeing where this being ashamed and suffering plays in with one another. Have you ever been ashamed? I think that's a good place to start this morning. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were ashamed? Perhaps when you were younger, perhaps it's now with with your parents. Something that you did that you knew they wouldn't approve of. And, and, and so what happened is, after you did it, you had this, this, this feeling, this sense of loss, of just yeah, pain, shame. Maybe it was some friends of yours, something that you did that you knew they wouldn't approve of, but you went and did it anyways. I would say that we could probably go around the room and each of us could attest to having experienced that before. But what about when it comes to our Lord? How many of you, as I asked you that question, thought about something that, that you have done before that rather than standing up for Jesus and representing him, and pointing others to him, and speaking about him, speaking for him, on his behalf, that you instead just kind of sat down. Said, you know what, no, that, that, that's not worth it. Turn with me to Luke. I, I want to start off here this morning, not with Paul, but with Peter. And most likely a passage that as we think of denying Christ as we think of being ashamed, this is probably where your mind might go or definitely go. What for me is so challenging about this whole account is how much I see myself in Peter from start to end. Because what Peter is going to do is, is he, as we start off and we, we see what is being presented to him is, is he just adamantly opposes what Christ says to him. Oh man, I'm not going to do that. Me? Deny you? Are you kidding? You're my Lord. You're everything to me. 
yet what we see is actually the complete opposite. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 22, we'll start off in 31 to 34. As we see something which actually reminds me a little bit of Job. As far as Satan coming to God, saying, oh yes, yeah, I I know why he honors you. Because you've made it easy on him. You've blessed him with so much and you have this hedge of protection around him. Take away that hedge of protection and he will curse you to your face. Look at what Jesus says to Peter, calling him Simon. And notice, he says his name twice. Why? Because he wants to wake Peter up. He wants to grab Peter's attention. I'm serious with what I'm about to share with you, Peter. As he says this, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you when once you have turned again strengthen your brothers notice the eternal or the future perspective that christ already has he already knows exactly what peter is going to do long before peter does it and yet even in this we see grace being extended to peter and we see god's grace even at work because we see that what Christ is encouraging, challenging Peter to do, even in this, that once you turn back to me again, then I want you to strengthen your brothers. Why? Because they'll need strengthening. And why? Because what you're going through is actually going to help you. You see, we tend to look at suffering as this terrible thing. And God looks at it through the eyes of redemption. And if our focus is gospel-centered, even in our suffering, it changes everything. So he tells him, strengthen your brothers. But look at how Peter responds to him. Probably as strongly as Peter could respond because we know that Peter was quick to speak, quick to jump in. But he, Peter, said to him, the Lord, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he, Jesus, said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Yeah, I know, I know what you're thinking, Peter, but the reality is when push comes to shove, you are going to be given an opportunity to stand for me, but instead of standing for me, you are going to be ashamed of me and you're going to go the other direction. Look at verses 54 to 62 as we see exactly what Jesus say is going to happen happens. Having arrested him, Jesus, they they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest, but Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. You see, she knew Jesus, she knew Peter, and she put the two together, and she knew this is one of his. And Peter, using the opportunity, stands and just stands for the Lord. No, the complete opposite. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, oh, you are, the, you are one of them too. 
But Peter said, man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. You see, he recognizes Peter's speech. And that gave him away. He was numbered with the Galileans, and everyone knew that those were the ones who were with Jesus. So this actually must be one of his men. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, because God is always faithful to his word and Jesus knows all things. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the reason why he took us to Luke is because Luke gives us this added input. Look at 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows, today you will deny me three times. In verse 62, he went out and wept bitterly. Why? Why did Peter go out and weep bitterly? Because he was ashamed of Christ. Because he recognized that he had not done what he said that he would do. But it begs the question as to why Peter was ashamed of Christ. Why? Why did Peter do this? He had just told Christ, man, I'm willing to die with you. Right here, right now, wherever you go, I go. Death, no death, man, I will follow you to the grave. And then when push comes to shove, what happens? I'd like to present to us this morning what happens is he was not willing to suffer. He waited. And the more that he followed Christ and he saw what was happening, it registered on him, oh man, this is not going to go well. I think they're actually going to kill him. And so then what does Peter do? He denies even knowing Christ. Why? Because he doesn't want to suffer. Now, I don't know what exactly the suffering looked like in his mind as to what he thought would happen to him. For me, it could have been all sorts of different things if I put my, shoe, my, my feet in Peter's shoes. Embarrassment? Ridicule? Possibly death. All of those things had to be floating through the mind of Peter. And whether we recognize it or not, shame and suffering are closely related. That is what we see over and over again in Scripture. This cross that is behind me, what what does it represent? For those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, it it represents the most beautiful work ever done. The price of our redemption that Jesus hung upon that cross. And what did he do while he was hanging on that cross? He suffered as no man has suffered ever before or ever again. He had the sins of the world placed upon him. And he, at that point, suffered. 
But do you also recognize, as, as far as the Roman world and as far as the first century goes, that when someone hung on a cross and they were crucified, it, it was a symbol of shame. So shame and suffering are closely related. I don't believe it, that we always think of them as being so closely related. Look at John chapter 15. Jesus has a lot to say about suffering. Jesus has a lot to say about persecution. And if we want to truly understand how to suffer well, if we want to truly understand how to look at suffering from God's perspective, from his vantage point, what, what I would call have a true theology, a good theology of suffering, then we need to know what God's word says about it. We need to know what God says about it, what Jesus says about it in the word. And we need to look at suffering through a, go, a gospel focus. But look at what Jesus says, John Chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. These are hard words for us to hear. What we're going to see in 2 Timothy, they're not just hard words. They don't make sense. In, In all of my humanity, the last thing I would want someone to say is what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Peter. Look at what Jesus says. If the world hates you, You know that it has hated me before it hated you. So don't be surprised. In fact, if the world hates you, you actually are doing the right thing. But don't make it so that you are the one that's the offensive one, but that Christ is the offensive one because that's who he will be. Look at 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. So Jesus has already said this to them. I think this is something Jesus talked a lot about suffering. But it's something that we don't like to talk about. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Are you convinced that suffering is part of God's plan? Turn with me to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, there's so many other places of the Sermon on the Mount that I, that I would love to go. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I, I saw this on Friday with Kathy's dad's memorial. God's grace was so evident. It's over and over again. The gospel was proclaimed. And it was shown to be that, that, that her dad was a man who walked with Jesus and led many to Jesus, basically opened the door for their whole family. So, so I love that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Th- those are verses that we like. Look at verse 10. 
That, this one, not so much. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who suffer for the sake of righteousness. Might I say it's not just in the, in the light of persecution that those who suffer well with the gospel focus, blessed are they. Why? Because they point people to Jesus through their suffering. Because they show people what no one else can show is the power to handle suffering that no one else can handle quite that same way. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the gospel and its effect upon their heart, upon their life, and as a result, when they go through suffering, they go through suffering so much different than those who do not know Christ. How about Philippians? Philippians chapter 1. Verse 29. We don't tend to think of suffering as an act of God's grace in our lives. Paul does. Philippians 1, 29 to 30, for to you it has been granted. This is the same word we're going to see later in 2 Timothy, that God's grace has been granted. It's the word for grace. For you it's been granted or it's been graced for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me while he was in prison. How about Colossians? Let's go to Colossians 2, chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians 1, verse 24. Look at what Paul says to us here about suffering. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do share, I, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. At first glance, at first read, you would think that this is actually a troubling passage, that somehow that what Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. That Paul somehow needs to add to the work of Christ and what he did upon the cross in order to edify the church, but that is not what he is saying at all. What Christ did is not insufficient. It was sufficient. It was enough. And what he is saying is that since Christ has now gone to the exalted position, since he has ascended to the Lord's right hand, and he is no longer on this earth, and he can no longer be the brunt of everyone pushing back on his message. Who does the devil, who does the world, and who, who does anyone who is opposed to Christ go after? The church. Us. So it, so it shouldn't surprise us when we, when we find ourselves in a situation where we're suffering we see from God's word over and over again, from Jesus' lips himself, that we will suffer. In fact, I would say even this, that, 
that suffering and the suffering that we go through in this life is, is kind of like a, a sign on the highway. You know how sometimes you're driving on the highway and you're like, man, did, did, did I miss something? Did I, did I somehow get on a, a wrong highway and I'm actually heading the wrong direction? And so what do you do? You, you ne- for the next five, ten minutes, you're just waiting for one of those freeway signs. Hoping and praying that you're not on some podunk freeway someplace that you're not totally lost. Oh no, I'm, I, man, I'm still on Highway 40. Praise the Lord. Do you know what suffering is? Suffering is like one of those highway signs that lets us know, reminds us, hey, you, you're on the right road. This is the road to Jesus. This is the road following Jesus. Suffering is part of that road. All that is a lead-in for 2 Timothy. Turn there now. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 14, as we see this, a gospel focus and suffering. This is what we need. We need a gospel focus in our suffering. Even if you're not suffering, you need a gospel focus to come along someone who is suffering that the Lord's going to bring along your path in order for you to just lovingly wrap arms around them and remind them, yes, I know this is so, so lame, but God's in this. There is redemption in this. That is where Paul goes even as he's just about to die. Verses 8 to 14, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher." For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. I recognize we've already been in the word. But this part in particular, we need the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, teach us. Teach us through your word as only you can. Speak through us through your word. How we are to look at suffering that we might live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we saw how how Paul was really being quite encouraging to Timothy. That what does he do? He, He points Timothy back to how he was raised and the faith that his grandma and his mom had. And how that same faith is, is now seen in Timothy and how Paul basically is just cheering Timothy on. Oh man, yes, I can see the Lord at work in you and I have affection for you. I love you as my son. I can't wait to see you. I want you to come to me. And then he wraps all that up 
with, yes, I, okay, I want you also to fan into flame the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. And then he says this, he says this, this gift from the Holy Spirit, it's not something that's going to make you timid. It's something that's going to give you power, it's going to give you love, and it's going to give you discipline, self-control. And it's almost like a lead-in. It's almost like a setup. Okay, Timothy, you have the Holy Spirit, you have this faith, I'm confident that you have it. And now look, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Two things. Almost like a put off, put on. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me. But instead, do what? Suffer. Suffer for the gospel. That, that's what I wouldn't want someone ever to say to me. Do you recognize what Paul is saying? This is a weird verb. The, the verb is to join with someone in suffering. It's not the verb to suffer. It's not some double verb that you put together, a compound word. No, this is, this is one verb that means only this, to suffer with someone. To suffer together with someone. To undergo the same type of suffering that person is going through. And that is what Paul is commanding Timothy to do. You don't get an option in this, brother. And I thought for the longest time as I was studying this, that this was only meant for Timothy. That this was something that was supposed to challenge Timothy. So, rise up, Timothy. That perhaps Timothy was thinking about shrinking back and sitting down and being like Peter. And so what is Paul doing? Paul is trying to challenge Timothy. Man, stand up for Jesus. Don't be ashamed, but also be willing to suffer. No, don't just be willing to suffer. Step into suffering. Come and join me. But the more I dug into this and the more I saw the gospel and, and as I look at the entire book of 2 Timothy, the more I, I think, too, it's, it's double-served. There's a dual purpose in, in him challenging Timothy this. Suffer with me. Hold my hand in suffering. And that double challenge is the fact that perhaps Paul needed some encouragement. Notice what he says. He gives us the key to suffering well. And that key is pointing back to what he said in verse 7 about the spirit that he's been given. That that spirit is what? The spirit of power. It's the spirit of strength. The only way you can suffer in a God-honoring way and in a way that the Lord will use it to be a testimony for him is if the Holy Spirit is taking over. And if it is the power of God in you, in me, which is why he says, join me in suffering, not just suffering for anything, but for the gospel. Don't waste your time on suffering for anything else. But suffer for the gospel, Timothy, and do it according to the power of God at work in you. But notice this. And this is so telling, at least it is for me. We, we all get that suffering is lame. It, it doesn't matter what kind of suffering you're going through, whether it's minimal or, or huge, none of us like it. None of us just want to just run towards suffering. All of us want to run the other way. It's why we do everything that we could do in order to keep us from getting sick and all sorts of other things, is it not? So suffering in itself is terrible. It's terribly hard. There, there's no pleasure in it. And yet, do you know what makes suffering worse? 
far worse. I don't care what you're going through. I can make your suffering worse. Do you know how? Isolate you and make you go through the suffering alone. And think about where Paul is. Is is that one of the the truths that the Lord's trying to remind us all this morning? That, That we're not made to go through life alone. We're not made to go through suffering alone. We need one another. And so Paul is just reaching out his hand, not just as a token hand. He wants to pull Timothy to him, all the way from Ephesus to Rome, and then grab arms around him and say, yes, we can do this together for the gospel. I need you also to remind me of this, Timothy. Man, what a challenge. What an added encouragement to see that Paul is saying, man, I want you to join with me in suffering. And he is saying the same thing to you and I this morning. That this is what allows suffering to somehow in God's economy by His grace to be bearable and to recognize it as essential to conform us more and more into the image of His Son. More and more like Christ. Why? Because there's so much self in us. That needs to be rooted out. And to be able to join in with someone else suffering. By God's grace, if you are not in a position right now of suffering, rejoice in that and ask the Lord, who might I come alongside and wrap arms around to help them through what they're going through? So notice where Paul goes next. It's it's beautiful. See, he's just explained how God gives us the power, the strength to suffer well through, through the Holy Spirit. And it's as if he just gets so enamored with the gospel that he can't stop there. He has to just take this little pause and clearly explain the gospel in these next two verses, in verses 9 and 10, that, that have been described as some of the most powerful representations in all of Scripture of the gospel. That this is just like Paul painting this beautiful, bright picture. Oh, and this is the glorious gospel. And Timothy, I don't want you to forget about this. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of my suffering, this is what I am beholding day in and day out. This is what I am thinking of. I am thinking of this glorious gospel. How he what? How he saved us and called us with a holy calling. That he saved us. From what? The idea here is to save us from eternal destruction. That is what he is pointing to. That that is only done through Jesus Christ. And how does he save us? He saves us by calling us. But there's this sweet way that he even phrases things. Just doesn't say he called us, but he called us with a holy calling. And then he does the same thing in verse 9. But according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus. That granted is the same word that I said earlier about grace. It's as if he's saying, God graciously graced us through Jesus Christ. Not only did he do that, but the means, the instrument that he used to call us was his calling. So he callingly called us, or through his calling called us. Why? To make sure that we know that salvation has nothing to do with us. It's all God. And we are passive in the process. And that God is the one doing the calling. God is the one doing the saving. 
And what are we doing? We, by faith, are accepting his wonderful and oh-so-precious gift of eternal life. That is what we see here. Him extending his grace to us. And notice that it's according not to someone else's purpose or plan. It's not, it's not because I drummed up this great way to be saved. No, this is according to his purpose, his will. And look at how he wraps everything up. And when was this plan, when was this will constructed? Was it at the moment that you came into existence? Because he saw just how terrible you were. How terrible I was. Well, it goes back much further than that. In fact, it goes back further than we can even consider. Notice what it says. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was what? Granted us. So this grace that was given to us, graciously given or grace graced us in what? In Christ Jesus from all eternity. How far back is that? That's as far back as you can go. That's before the creation of anything. Literally, it means before times eternal. That there is no time. And at that time, way back in the the eternity past, this was God's design to save us. To call us to Himself by doing what? By now revealing himself to us. And that's where we see verse 10. All of this again is, is God doing this. It isn't as if one day we removed the blinders and what we couldn't see yesterday or five minutes ago, now we can see because in ourselves we have this ability to do this. No, this is God coming. And what is he doing? He's revealing this to us. He's the one that pulls away the blinders so that we might see what? This appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. And then notice how he depicts what Jesus comes and does. And most likely what I would consider the two most largest needs that any of us would have. You go to the mall and you ask someone there, what is it that you are most scared of? What do you fear the most? And if you went around and you asked everybody at the mall or even on your street, and just went from house to house to house, unless you ran into a believer, do you know what their answer is going to be? Particularly with COVID and everything else that we've been seeing recently, their answer is going to be, and we've done this at the mall in our witnessing nights, their answer is death. Death, death, death. That is what everybody is so fearful and scared about. And that is what Jesus has the answer to. Notice his answer is emphatic as to what Jesus did to death. He didn't just knock it down. He didn't just press the pause button on death. No, it, it says that he destroyed death. He abolished death. Verse 10, he abolished death. To cause to come to a complete end. To no longer be in existence. He wiped it out. Is that not a wonderful message that we have to share with others right now? 
And the flip side of this is equally as significant because he didn't just abolish death and then end it there. But he brought something in its place. And he brought what no one else could do because he is the only one that lives in this state, the state of immortality. And so what did he bring? He brought life and he brought immortality through what? Through the gospel, through the evangelicon, through the good news of Jesus Christ. And it only comes through him. Do, do you know what this does? Having this kind of focus, recognizing that in our suffering, that suffering right now is really just what? Momentary. What, what Paul has just done is he's, he's just wiped away all time for us. And he's allowed us to see, hey, when did this plan start? Well, as far back as you can think, you need to go another eternity. And where will this plan end? As far forward as you can think, you need to go on to another eternity after that. Immortality, it will never end. And, and, and what is so amazing is he says, and, and right now, right now is all about what? The gospel. That's what we've been called to. That is what we've been saved through. And that is what we should proclaim. And that is who we should suffer for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. It allows us to go to a passage. and In fact, go there with me, 2 Corinthians. It allows us to come to a passage like this and make sense of it. Otherwise, God's incredibly mean, unkind. And He just enjoys allowing us to suffer if there is no eternity past this. But if there's redemption in our suffering, and if there's a gospel focus in our suffering, then it's entirely different. And what we are going through right now is what? It's a momentary thing. It's fleeting. Please, I'm not trying to diminish any of the suffering that we go through. What I'm trying to share is a proper focus that, yes, what we are is we get focused into thinking, oh, this is what life is about. And what Paul is saying and reminding us is that Christ is what life is all about. And that there is an eternal perspective for us to see in our suffering that right now, right here on this planet and this life, before the Lord Jesus comes and takes us to glory, or it is our time to leave this earth, this is the only time that we have to suffer and have a gospel focus in our suffering. It's for this reason that he says, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you're like, Pastor Jason, when do you get to this? Chapter, let's look at verses 16 to 18. As he wraps up 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at what Paul says. You see, he understood this. He knew that this would be an encouragement to the Corinthians. He knew this would be an encouragement to Timothy. He knew this would be an encouragement to us. The Lord knew. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, oh, yes, we know that is the case. We see it in our body. We hear it in our body. We know it in our own bodies. This body is decaying. I'm not what I used to be. Are you kidding me? I had all sorts of glory pictures in my mind yesterday when we were playing kickball. Going over everybody's head. First with my right foot. No, I hit the ground and it just went dun 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 and it got me out. Then it was with, oh, I'm going to do it with my left foot this time. My left foot was a grounder right to like first base and he tagged me out. No, no, I, I'm getting old. And I hate to say it, so are you. And, and, and right now, what we are experiencing is, yes, our outer man is decaying, but there is so much more to us than that. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart, but through our, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What he's saying is it is worth it to stand up for Jesus. It is worth it for Peter to have said, no, 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 I do know him. And it is worth it for you to say the same. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That is the eternal gospel focus of suffering that we should have. The question is, have you received eternal life through Jesus Christ? Do you know today, right now, if you were to die, what life would look like after this? Or has that fear of death been taken from you because you know that the one who died in your place has already risen from the dead and so he has guaranteed you life eternal. Amen? That is what he has guaranteed for us. For those of us who believe in him, who have trusted in him as our Savior, the question is, please listen to me this morning, whether you're looking online or you're here and you have not trusted in Jesus, turn to him today. Trust in him for your salvation for he is the one that paid the price for sin so that you would not have to there's nothing you can do to earn his merit his grace it's something that you freely accept so first Paul focuses on what on the gospel to remind us all to suffer for the gospel but he doesn't stop there. He also wants us to see that, that, yes, we are to suffer for the gospel, but we are also to live for the gospel. Living for the gospel. We see this in the second half of, of verse 12. 2 Timothy. As Paul says this, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. Because he knows why he's suffering and who he is suffering for. And he also knows the crown that he will receive through his suffering if he's suffering well. And then he goes on and he says this. Really, unbelievably says this. For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What is Paul speaking of? Paul is speaking, no doubt, of his very life. You see, Paul has had a track record of seeing again and again and again that nobody else is in charge of his life except for God. Why? Because he was stoned how many times and then came out? Shipwrecked. Bitten by a poisonous snake that he should have died from. Beaten with rods. Whipped. Over and over and over again, these are normally the times where someone would what? Die. But Paul's confidence wasn't in all these other circumstances that were happening. Wasn't even in his own ability to keep himself safe. Just as that shouldn't be something that drives us to do whatever we do. God holds our hands in his hand, or our life in his hands. And that is what Paul is talking about. That he trusts his life entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not just believing in that, but he's convinced. He knows 
without a shadow of a doubt that this is what is going to happen to him, so to speak, is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's expressing as, almost as strongly as he can the conviction that in this case, God will do exactly what he promises and that he will bring him home in his timing. Not in Paul's. Even though Paul's convinced that his life is just about to end, he knows that it's all going according to God's plan, not his. And I am certain that as well that there is this other nuance of this that he also recognizes that the ministry, the life that he has been living of service for the Lord is also something that has been entrusted to Christ. And he recognizes that his life and all the choices that he has made and all these missionary journeys and all of what he has come under and all the suffering that he has done that that will afford him an opportunity for the Lord Jesus Christ one day when he stands before him in glory and tests all the work that Paul had done for him to be given these crowns. And when Paul receives those crowns, you know what he's going to do? He's going to cast them at the Lord's feet and say, praise you. I'm so thankful I was able to serve you. Is that your attitude? Do you have this kind of confidence and notice what Paul says, how he, how he phrases this. He says, I know whom I've believed. That, that belief there is not, not some sort of knowledge and stuff. Let's say books. It's not an objective knowledge that you gain from your countless hours and hours of study. It's, it's not talking about your knowledge of theology, not talking about your knowledge of doctrine, not talking about your knowledge of the Old Testament. He's not talking about his knowledge of the New Testament. Even though we could rightly deduce and look at Paul's life and say, are you kidding me? He penned 28% or something like that, more than a quarter of the New Testament. Him by himself with the Holy Spirit. Did Paul know a lot? Yes. But notice, that isn't what he puts all his claim on here. As he's sitting really in his deathbed, and he's thinking about where he's at. He, he doesn't look back at all of his theology and everything that he, that he knows like that. He points to his relationship with Jesus. And he says, this is what I'm convinced of. This is what I know. Is that Jesus, he's looking after me. And even as he's sitting in this cell, he's, he's growing in that relationship. And he's walking with Jesus hand in hand. And what an encouragement to each of us to, to see that that is how Paul is wrapping up his life. What a challenge to us. My question for us all is, is that your attitude? Is that what you are staking your claim on? This is what I'm going to go with. If I have nothing else in this life, I am going to go with my relationship with Jesus. Well, if that is the case, then what does that look like? Or are there other things that are taking the priority? Finally, what we see is this. Not only should we suffer for the gospel, live for the gospel, but we must guard the gospel. We must guard the gospel. That is what Paul tells Timothy as he wraps up in verses 13 to 14. And he basically brings up these two things that he's already brought up already that we're going to see repeated over and over again in 2 Timothy. We saw them in 1 Timothy. That is the Word of God and that is the Spirit of God. Don't forget sound doctrine. 
Timothy. I, I don't want you to think it's all about your relationship with the Lord that you can just abandon God's word and go and do whatever you want and, and just go commune with God every day in nature without having God's word being a constant input into your life. No, you need to spend time in the word studying, preaching, teaching. Retain the standard of sound words is how he says it which you have heard from me. But don't allow it just to be the head knowledge, Timothy. I don't want you to be just a man of theology. I don't want you to be a man just of doctrine. I want you to be a man of what? Faith and love. I want you to be like Jesus. I want you to love people the way that Jesus loves people. I want your faith to grow more and more so that as people watch you and as they spend time with you, that they would be challenged in their faith. Just as I saw the faith in your grandma and your mom, and then he wraps everything up with this. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. For there is no other way for us to live the Christian life. There is no other way for us to endure suffering. There is no other way for us to walk with the Lord day in and day out than to be relying upon the Holy Spirit again and again and again. We can see his emphasis in this, going back to verse 7 that we saw last week, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then as well in, in verse 8, not to be ashamed, but you do it how? How do you suffer well for the gospel according to the power of God, pointing him again to the Holy Spirit? Okay, we started with Peter, and I don't want to just leave Peter where we started with him. Because this is such a good picture of exactly what Paul's talking about. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And now we'll see the kind of like the second chapter of Peter's life. And what is different? Why is, is Peter so ashamed of Christ earlier and now here we see he is anything but ashamed? Now he is just confident he's, he's ready to die to do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would present to you the reason is, is because of Pentecost. The reason is, is because of the Holy Spirit that is now living and active in his heart and in his life. And so when Peter is given an opportunity to be ashamed of the gospel, to be ashamed of Jesus Christ, to recount and recant what he has been proclaiming and preaching, he'll have nothing of it. Instead, he stands with Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 18. Look at what it says. We, we know that he, that he heals a, a paralyzed guy. We, we saw this as we went through Acts. And then they're coming under all sorts of trouble because of healing him. And so we see in 18 to 22 this. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So here's another opportunity for Peter to stand and not be ashamed or to just give in. Say, okay, we're good. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. So at that point, they're not even being beaten. 
The suffering there was just the anguish of having to go before the, the Sanhedrin. But as, as this continues on, as, as we see him and the apostles there in Jerusalem proclaiming Christ, we see this basically recircle itself. And look at chapter 5, verse 27. When they had brought them, so they're bringing them again. They stood them before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Actually, it's not their teaching, it's his. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Jump over to to 38. As we see Gamaliel step in. You see, they were going to do something crazy against the apostles. And instead, Gamaliel says, hey, listen to me here. Verse 38, chapter 5. So, in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. And they took his advice And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had what? That they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Standing up strong for the Lord even recognizing, you know what, we will take shame, we will suffer whatever we need to in order to honor the Lord. The question for us all this morning is, are we willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? Let me close this out in prayer as as Brad and the, the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we, we confess to you, Lord, that We don't tend to look at suffering the way that your word presents it to us, Lord. We look at suffering as something that we try desperately to get away from, to get rid of. Help us, Lord, to not be ashamed of you, but to stand up strong for you in every situation that you bring us to and through. Help us to look at suffering as something that we share in with one another for the cause of Christ, for you, our Lord and Savior. Help us as well, Lord, to be about your word, to stay tethered to your word, to soak in it, to meditate on it, to memorize it. And finally, to to guard your gospel and share your precious gospel. Thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul this morning and the encouragement that they are to us, reminding us all this morning that we, by your wonderful grace, have been called out of darkness into light. That we who were dead in our sins, that have trusted in you as our Savior, that we now are alive, and that we now enjoy eternal life. And what has begun in this life, here, now, when we believed in you, will know no end. And that to be absent from this body is to be present with you. And we are confident in that, Lord. Continue to grow our faith. 
and allow us to be your vessels here in this world to bring more and more to a saving knowledge of yourself. In Jesus' name.